Well, today we have a lot of work to do, and I'm, I'm not saying that just to fill work. I'm telling you, we have some work to do. And we're starting a new series talking about being the church. And so in the summertime, as you get to know me, what happens, I, I really focus on kind of topical series in the, the school year. And then in the summer, you know, I, I deal with a little bit weightier, weightier issues. And so we're going to just really kind of begin today. And so I just want to invite you. I want to warn you ahead of time. Just hang in there, okay, teenagers? You know, I understand the tension span thing. Hang in there. And we're going to deal with some weighty things. And, and let's just walk through this together. We're going to Ephesians chapter 4 and looking at verse 24. So first off, let's put our finger there. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read it in the NIV and then we'll jump to a couple different translations. And then I'll try to build kind of a, a basis for us to work on over the next couple of weeks. So bear with me again. It's so great to have you here. Ephesians chapter 4. Before we read that, I want, to, I want us to read our statement together. It talks about what our attitude should be in regards to the Word when we go to the Word of God together and we break the Word of life, that we might have this right spirit and that we're, we're open and our minds are open to what God is saying and speaking to us. So let's read this together out loud. I'm about to study the incorruptible, inerrant Word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to His wisdom and I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to grow, I am ready to change and hide this word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. Amen and amen. So we look at Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verse 24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God, into righteousness and holiness. And so we're looking at this passage, this, this, this really this short verse, in regards to two things. And of course the first is, is the new self, that we're putting on this new self, and of course uh, created in the likeness of God in his image, and we're going to wade through that uh, a little bit later. But notice how it, it reads in, in the King James Version. It begins like this. It says, and that ye put on the new man. And so in the NIV, we have the new self, and now we have the new man here, which kind of is a little bit of a throwback of last Sunday when we were talking about, you know, clothing ourselves, you remember that we're clothing ourselves in humility and clothing ourselves in righteousness. And it's the clothing that is that uniform that we have, just as we honor uniforms that different people groups wear. We, we say, what is the uniform of the believer? I mean, what is the uniform of the Christian? And how well are we wearing that uniform? And so really kind of connected to that, we are this new man. We have this new self. And then in, in uh, the New Revised Standard Version, which I think is a, a really a pure translation, it reads this way, to clothe yourself. So now we're back to this clothing idea, to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God and to righteousness and holiness. Now, I, I, I want to begin this morning by saying it is relevant to investigate who we are and what we believe as Nazarene Christians. And in fact, the next few Sundays, we're going to ask questions like, you know, what do we believe as Nazarene Christians? Where does the Nazarene church come from? When did it start? And we understand, you know, we were organized in 1908 at Pilot Point, Texas. How many knew that already? Raise your hand real high. Okay, there's some of us. So we were organized in 1908, Pilot Point, Texas. 
And, you know, there's kind of a lot of stuff that goes with that coming out of the holiness movement. And then, of course, the looming question that we're going to look at today uh, that I encourage you just to hang in there is the, the idea or the question of what is holiness? What is holiness? I, I, I do a membership orientation class when people are interested in joining the church, becoming a part of this body. I say, hey, come to the membership class. And part of the process of the membership class is that, that we ask the question of what is holiness, right? And we, we talk back and forth and we just kind of process the idea of, of, of holiness and, and how it fits in our life. And, and I say right up front, there's no wrong answers because, see, it's a process and we're learning. But for this morning, what I want to do is I want to begin to lay a foundation that we can build on for the next couple Sundays to come in regards to understanding and answering the question of what is holiness. And so the way we're going to do that, to establish the foundation, is we're going to look at the core values of the Church of the Nazarene. What are those core values? And really, there are three of them. And the first one is this, that we are a Christian people. Say that with me out loud. We are a Christian people. And in fact, there is a paragraph in in our resources as the Church of the Nazarene. We have some resources that we look at and we read through, and there's just a a few paragraphs in regards to the core values. And I, I want us to actually... Uh, Read these together. In fact, I will read it and invite you to follow along as we read this paragraph together. As members of the church universal, we join with all true believers in proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ and in affirming the historic Trinitarian creeds and the beliefs of the Christian faith. We value our Wesleyan holiness heritage and believe it is to be a way of understanding the faith that is true to scripture, reason, tradition, experience, which is the Wesleyan quadrilateral that is saying, how do we bring truth from the, you know, the past and pull it into the future in a way that is relevant? That means we measure it with, of course, reason, experience, scripture, and we are able to say, okay, this is truth. Then the next paragraph, we're especially called to witness to the holiness of Christ church as embraced in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. We affirm the principles of salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. In doing so, we continue to affirm that Christ's church is one, universal, and apostolic. Amen. And so, adding to that, to live in the fullness of of the Father's holy love and to live with this holiness understanding in, in Christian faith and in, in Christian perfection and to be faithful to the principles and teachings of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, it, it's, really, it's really that what is holding up and buttressing the idea and the question of holiness. And it all fits together. Then the second core uh, value is we are a missional people. Say that with me out loud. We are a missional people. And then look at the paragraph with me. We are a sent people. Look at that. We are a sent people responding to the call of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into all the world, witnessing to the lordship of Christ and participating with God in the building of the church and the extension of his kingdom. Of course, Matthew 28, 19, 20, the, the Great Commission. And, and then out of that, we have, of course, seek, serve, and reach. And so we say, okay, we're missional. We are a missional church. And we seek, which is disciple-making or being a disciple. And then, of course, we serve, moving into the, the, the community, into the margins as we are serving. And then, of course, reaching as we're learning how to share our own story about who Jesus Christ is to us. This begins the mission. The paragraph goes on to say, and you can look at that, the mission begins in worship. 
this is relevant. This is relevant because it's in worship that it's possible that somebody has not heard the story. Somebody's not encountered, you know, the living Christ or they've not heard that Jesus loves them and that Jesus has a plan for the life and, and that Jesus came here and, and he died on the cross so they, they might have the relationship with the Father. So the essence of Christ is restoring, again, relationship with the Father, our creator. We recognize that. And, of course, in these other ways that we see designated by, you know, those perspective, uh, that perspective numbering or lettering in regards to submission and where mission begins and how it's carried through. But then now we come to the kind of the crux of the message, which is the third core value. Bear with me here. The third core value, which is that we are what? We are a holiness people. Amen? We are a holiness people. In fact, holiness has been defined as, of course, being dedicated or being, being consecrated. It's, it's the Hebrew word kodesh, Q-O-D-E-S-H. It's kodesh, which is a, a, a set-apartness. It is a separate idea that we are separate from, of course, that world. Of course, we're in the world, but not, not of the world. We understand that. So you have the idea of of holiness, but then think of the Holy Bible, the word holy and Bible. And we see that being this is separate so that we have direction for life. Um, It is it is more pointedly the revelation of God to man, God's revelation to mankind as his holy guide for life. So so there's this kind of set apart and fun in, in our membership orientation. We talk about. You know, the, the idea of holiness. And, and at, at a certain time, I talk about, you know, my goblet. This is, this is the cup I have in my office. It actually sits on my credenza. When you come into my office, you see it. Because I, I bought this in Austria, actually, the country of Austria. I was there, my wife and I. And, and I said, this is awesome. Um, I'm going to use this for communion when I do a wedding. So many times I've had a wedding, and the couple wants to have communion in the ceremony. So I'll use this for, for the communion. So what's this to be separate? I mean, to set apart for what? What does that mean when we talk about holiness? Well, let's say for an example, say I was a priest, and uh, and I, I uh, you know, I used holy water, and then I made a decision as priest that this is going to be used only for a holy purpose, and so this vessel is to be used for for only a special purpose. And so I'd wash it with holy water, and then I'd set it aside, and I'd say I'm going to use that vessel, you know, just for for this holy use, which is holy communion. It would be very unlikely if you came into my office that if I'd done that and I'd set the vessel aside for holy use, it'd be very unlikely that I would, you know, because you're a visitor, a guest in my office, that I would make you a root beer float in it. (laughs) That's kind of being silly there, but but, it would be very unlikely that I would take this this vessel that has been set aside for the holy use of God and to put in that vessel or to use that vessel for anything else other than what brings glory to our Father in heaven. Think about this, this separateness, I mean, to be set apart as, as God's vessel, as God's servant. And in fact, we have, again, in our resources, we have a, a paragraph, you know, defining this for us. Let's look at that together. We have a paragraph there. Let's put that up. God, who is holy calls us to a life of holiness. We believe that the Holy Spirit seeks to do in us 
a second work of grace. And so maybe that's, that's a new idea for you. I mean, that's a concept you've not heard of, that there is this, this heart cleansing. There is this second work. So there's the second work of grace called by various terms, including entire sanctification versus the initial sanctification. And in initial sanctification, we meet Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. And then there's entire sanctification and, and, and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, depending on what terminology that you want to use. So this brings us back to the understanding of holiness with the idea of, of Christian perfection. I mentioned that phrase earlier, this Christian perfection, which is really holy love. So when we say we love the Lord with our heart and soul and mind and strength and we love our neighbor as ourselves, really we are talking about Christian perfection. We're talking about the holy love that God calls us to and that God fills us with so that in holy love we are responding to him and we're responding with him whatever the crisis may be. Amen. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit convicts and fills and powers. It's the wooing of the Spirit, you know, in his prevenient grace, the wooing of the Spirit that brings us to this moment of transformation when Christ becomes a part of our life. Again, the role of the Holy Spirit restoring in us the image of God and producing in us the character of Christ. Now, I, I need to say this again. Remember, we're laying a foundation, so hang in there. We're just wading through a lot of weighty stuff here. We believe in God the Father, the Creator, who calls into being what does not exist. That's key, because He calls into being, whether it's the stars above or the animals in the field, the bird of the air, God is Creator and He creates and He calls those, those things, that creation into being, just as He creates His image in us, he calls that image into being in our life. Amen. And what's so encouraging to me about that is that we are not left alone. And we are not destitute. And we are not people with no hope. But hallelujah, we have hope in Jesus Christ and a God that loves us because God is creating in us his image. God is creating in you. Amen. This is an ongoing work in progress that God is working in your life. In fact, Leviticus 11.44, you've heard it before. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Therefore, be holy because what? What's that say? What's it read? Be holy because I am holy. We are a holiness people. That, that's, that's the foundation. And the foundational example is, is Christ. Because Christ, it's a life that transforms, but it also is a life, Christ's life, is a life that informs us. And it informs us on what holiness looks like and informs us in the Sermon on the Mount and informs us in his sacrifice on the cross. He informs us of what holiness looks like by the very life that he lives out in front of us. Amen. So that we understand the temptation of our ways. As Isaiah writes, we all like sheep have gone astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned our own ways. You see, our own sin. But the Lord, God, has laid on him. That's Jesus Christ, the iniquity or the sin of us all. And so that when Christ went to the cross, he takes the burden of the sin on his shoulders, off of our shoulders, so that we might rise up and respond to God. Amen. So where is the beginning? I mean, in, in, in how we, we start the process, where is the beginning of holiness? Here it is. The beginning of holiness is in knowing God. It's in knowing God. How can we even judge? How can we even begin to talk about the idea of of what it means to be holy and, and understand the holiness of God if we don't understand 
how glorious and how wonderful this God is, that God is a glorious God. In fact, God is so glorious that there's really only one proper response when we we enter into the presence of God. And the only proper response in entering into the presence of God is to worship him. Hallelujah. To worship God because he's worthy of our glory. How many believe that this morning? Say amen. He's worthy of our glory, worthy of our worship. You say, well, pastor, how do you worship God? You worship God in praise. You worship him in song. You worship him as we did this morning. Wow, they did a good job leading us in worship, didn't they? And so we worship him in that way. We worship him in Eucharist. We worship him as we respond, whether we're lighting the candle or whether painting the picture or whether, you know, we're, we're coming and we're receiving the Lord's Supper. We worship him in response. But by the way, we worship him also in serving and sharing Jesus. We we worship him in a word that maybe we're not comfortable with in our own evangelistic effort in sharing with people that Jesus loves them. We we worship him. You know, when yesterday Heidi and I was out and about for probably six hours and and I think I probably I ran out of business cards. I invited like six people to church, (laughs) you know, and I I know I think, okay, I'm kind of being annoying. I know that I get it. But, but I want him to know Jesus. And I worship God that way. I worship God by sharing Jesus. And, and I said, man, you've got to come to our church. It's an awesome church. You're going to love our people. Our people here are awesome. And, and I share Jesus. And you know, you worship God by sharing Jesus. As you're sharing and you're, you're being evangelistic, if that's the word, or whatever your word, you're telling your story, whatever you want to, that, that's because you're, you're in love with God. You know his son Jesus and you want people to know them. And we worship him by sharing him. We worship him in ordinary tasks, day-to-day tasks. And part of the incarnation of that son of Christ in life, you know, this this God-man, Christ that was fully God but also fully man that died on the cross for us, part of the incarnation of him in us is when we share him with other people. Amen. And the beginning starts when we get to know God. (laughs) So holiness begins. The beginning of holiness is when you get to know God. And we are drawing towards God and all of his goodness and all of his grace and, and his beautiful mercy that is poured out upon us and covers us. As we get to know God and, and there is this, this, this consecration of our life that, that is realized in in his perfect love for our life. And, and in that perfect love, there's ethics and there's morality. You hear me, teenagers? There's this transformation because life is changed and our life begins to live in such a way that we want to glorify God. Not ourselves, not the world, not people around us, but Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that produces within us a character that is that of Christ. The character of holy love. Holy love. It's the ability, remember, the clothing part. It's the ability of, of this new self. We take on the new self because of the holy love of Christ. And, and in that new self, we become a part of this community. Remember the covenant community, being a part of a church and joining a church because we really do need each other. In that covenant community, we experience the love and we experience the purity and the power of Christ and we experience compassion. Amen. And I believe that, Ellen, you're right in regards to missions. You know, it's not a service. It's not a program. There's no magic, you know, recipe. It's relationship. 
It's relationship. And the theme, what you were sharing, again, it's relationship. That I might have relationship. And in relationship, you see, then that perfect love can be known. The perfect love of Christ. Amen. And that Christ-like, you know, community. So, as a holiness people, we do not exist in a historical... Now, bear with me here. We do not exist in a historical or ecclesiastical vacuum. You know, we talk about holiness. It's not just writing on the page. It's not just, you know, okay, we're reading in the book. It's not the preacher preaching on Sunday. It's not this vacuum. We talk about holiness. Man, it is transformative and it's realized and manifest in our life as we're living that holy life for Jesus Christ. Amen. Holiness is about Jesus. I, I like sometimes the staff says, uh, one of my staff members say, well, Tony, every time you talk and every devotion you give, it's always about Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. It is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's, it's Jesus that we worship and Jesus that we love and Jesus that we think about and Jesus that we walk with and talk with and live with. This is the essence of the outflowing and the overflowing of the holiness of God in us. And it's that idea that characterizes the people of God. Amen. That we are about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. You know, that sounds a little preachy, but the context of what we're reading here this morning, it, it's, it's everything. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. We go back to our text, go to, again, Ephesians chapter 4 and our text there. And the Apostle Paul, remember, writing so much of his, many of his words in chains. And even though he may have had some physical limitations, Paul's focus was really an attempt to unchain the congregation from their past way of living. And so it's interesting, the one that is in chains is saying, here's how you are to be unchained. So he who has chains saying, okay, here's how you live unchained. And then more of the context in chapter 3, you can turn back there, look at that. In chapter 3, Paul is unleashing the abundant grace, the course that washes over God's people, the grace that, that purifies and saves. And, and then couched between pagan ways, he's renouncing pagan ways, and then he's bearing, you know, talking about bearing up with one another in love. In between there now, bear with me, in between there, there's the revelation. And he's talking about revelation. Which is consistent, of course, with the character of God, because what is the scripture? The Bible is God's revelation to man. It's God's revelation to man. So there's revelation. I I read a quote recently that I thought was really powerful. And what this man said, he said, uh, be careful because revelation can be more dangerous than a revolution. I thought about that. Wow. Revelation can be more dangerous than a revolution. I like what this man, Adam Clark, writes. He says, The Bible is proved to be a revelation from God by the reasonableness and holiness of its precepts, all its commands, exhortations, and promises having the most direct tendency to make man wise, holy, and happy in themselves, and useful to one another because it's God's revelation of himself to man. So we say, you know, why the Bible? God's revelation of himself to man. And I think about holiness. I I cannot help but think that it was in part, at least for me, it was revelation. I'll never forget my my sophomore year in college. And 
I had been called to preach at 15, and I went to Northwest Nazarene University. Sorry, Point Lomer people. Uh, but anyways, I go to NNU, and, and uh, I, uh, I'm in my sophomore year. It's a Friday night. My roommate has gone home. I'm in my dorm by myself, so that tells you how boring I was because I was in my dorm on Friday night, no date. And I'm in my dorm room, and I'm working on a term paper on an old typewriter. Click, click, click. You know, you have to push the buttons on an old typewriter. And so I'm working on a term paper, and I pull the paper out. It's not working. I've got a kind of a, a block, a mental block, and I pull the paper out, and I crinkle it up and throw it on the floor. And I start writing again, and I pull it out and crinkle it up and throw it on the floor. I do this probably six or seven times. I cannot get through. There was something that God was doing and stirring in me. We had just been through a big revival at the, at, at the university. And I was studying to be a pastor, and yet this night, on Friday night, by myself, I could not get this term paper to begin. And so, I started praying. And I prayed, and I, 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 I don't know what I prayed, I can't tell you what I prayed, but I prayed for like an hour, and then I prayed for two hours. And, and as I was praying, it felt like the Spirit was just swirling around and swirling around, and pretty soon as I was praying, I began to cry, and it felt like strings were attached to the floor to my knees, and they were pulling me down to the floor, and pretty soon I was on my knees. And, and I was praying more, and, and another hour or so passed, and I found myself prone. I've never prayed as long as I did that night ever since or before. And I prayed, and there was something that was happening, swirling around. And then all of a sudden, after I don't know how long, all of a sudden it felt like there was something blown through the ceiling there. And the Spirit of God fell down upon me. And I prayed that God, that I could love Him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and my neighbor as myself. And the Spirit of God filled me and sanctified me. And set me free. Hallelujah. Now, I had been born again at 11. I'd accepted the call to preach at 15. But that night, my sophomore year in college, God sanctified me. And you say, well, pastor, you know, was that the end? No, that was just the beginning. Because it's been a process. And it's been progress. And man, I've fallen. I've bumped my head. I've fallen short. I've hurt people. And I've had to repent every single time because it is a process. And it is progress. As God is daily sanctifying me still. Amen. What is holiness? What is holiness? It, it, is, it is getting to know God. Getting to know God. How can you judge God if you do not know Him? In, in, in this passage, in fact, we back it up to, to verse 17 and down through 24, our text, and, and 17 to 24, Paul is dealing with some issues in the church, and, and they were not getting the revelation. They were not getting the revelation. Maybe you're thinking, you know, why am I not getting it? Maybe it seems like you have a spiritual block, and there's no new revelation for your life. I love to hear your call to ministry, Ellen. And maybe there's been a spiritual block. Why is there no revelation? Paul's addressing that. I mean, this, this ought to cause us to sit up and pay attention because he's addressing why is there no revelation? And he, he mentions a few things here. And the first one is in verse 18. Looking at verse A, or part A of verse 18, sorry. Part A of verse 18. It says they did not receive revelation. They were not getting revelation because of what? They, they had a darkened understanding. 
They had a darkened understanding. This is why, you know, we're even having this discussion or asking the questions so that we we have understanding. I think, generally speaking, disagreements and division and conflict happens because of a lack of really understanding where that other person is coming from. I mean, look in our polarized society. I think it's a lack of understanding. I I will never forget Daniel Castellano, who was my uh, Spanish pastor in Bradenton, Florida, and Daniel and his girlfriend, Laura, had come to us um, after visiting one of our harvest festivals two or three years in a row. And he came to church, and the very first Sunday, he hit the altar, and Laura and Daniel left a puddle of tears at the altar. And Laura and Daniel accepted Christ, and not long after that, as they began to right the wrongs in their life, and they began to work on living a holy life, and for Jesus, he accepted the call, and he, he became one of our pastors. And, and we, were, we were like this. He said, Pastor, I love you, man. I said, I love you, Daniel. No, I love you more, Pastor. No, I love you more, Daniel. We, we were like this. But then we'd have these discussions that were political or cultural. And we were like this. Here, and I wasn't happy with that. And so we sat together. And one afternoon, we just spent about four hours. And I said, Daniel, I want to hear. I want to listen. And so Daniel began to tell me about immigrating from Argentina, getting into the country in not a legal way. He began to tell me about his struggles. He told me about why he thinks this way and why he thinks this way. And, why they, and I want to say, you know, I, I, I didn't change my value system. I, my biblical, you know, what biblical truth is, I mean, that's, that's the same. But I want to say something. Ever since that conversation, I, I had a different way of responding to Daniel than I did before that time. Because I understood now where he was coming from. Division so oftentimes happens when we do not have full understanding. How can we have an opinion on holiness and the holiness of God unless we know God? Amen. See, what we know of God, here's my statement. What we know of God comes from God. Does that make sense? What we know of God comes from God. You see, God is our resource of that understanding. And so the futility of living a spiritual life without the understanding of who God is, is really quite obvious because in in our own futility, we start filling the void with so many other things that we get lost of what really is the true thing, which is Jesus Christ. And and in fact, that's how paganism, that's how paganism um, and idolatry you know, happens. That's how that, that develops and has for eons and through the centuries. And so what Paul is addressing here is their darkened understanding, which expresses a clear, well, a darkened understanding expresses an unclear, not clear, but unclear vision of who God is. They really don't know who God is. So that's the first thing, a darkened understanding. Here's the second thing. Bear with me. We're almost over here. The second thing is... Um, they were distanced from God because of a hardness of heart. Now, I, I, I think we can say it like this. You know, there's this tendency we see in society is that we lift self up. You know, we lift self up. And, and in the process of humanity lifting self up, whether we talk about secularism, human secularism, whatever, we lift self up and we distort the image of God. That's, that's kind of the natural human tendency of mankind where we're lifting self and it's mankind, and we keep elevating self to a higher and higher station. 
until God is completely distorted, maybe even out of the picture, like you're talking about that one country. And, and, and so they, they had a hardness of heart. And what Paul is showing us is really, as a logical thinker, what's the process? How do we get there? How do we, how do we drift so far away? And he gives us a logical order. Paul does. This is not my order. Paul gives us this order. First, man rebels. Here's the order. Man rebels from God. He rebels. Man moves from God. Then man gives into self, right? And then man becomes desensitized to spiritual things. Man comes desensitized to spiritual things. And, and there's insight because of your own spiritual journey, maybe, and in spiritual life. See, there was no revelation because they, they had become hard of heart. The third one, a loss of sensitivity, and they had abandoned themselves to licentiousness, which is having no restraint. Really, it's no sexual restraint. And so in pagan religions throughout History. I mean, for eons, we've noticed there's this close relationship between sensuality and spirituality. And in those pagan religions, how they try to tie the two together. But the problem is there is this imbalance that happens where it's all sensuality. And the more they chase the sensuality, trying to fill needs, you know, the more lost they become. Now, that's not to say anything negative about the way that God has created us. He created with certain appetites and they are healthy in balance. Follow me? The appetites are healthy in balance, but yet we chase after that what, of course, leads us away from the Lord, and, and, and that's dangerous. And so what Paul is really addressing is that he understands the problem of an abandonment to self, an abandonment to self. So holiness becomes real in the heat of the moment. I share this in closing about, you know, life that's, that's holy. Understanding holiness begins with Understanding God and, and the life that, that sanctified. Um, Heidi and I were on the freeway a while back, and we were coming in back into town to San Diego on the I-15. And, I mean, it was packed. It was business hour, like 5 o'clock. And, and there were, you know, all four lanes. I think there's four lanes. Every lane was packed. I mean, bumper to bumper, and it was just stop and go, stop and go. We could go no faster than maybe 10 or 15 miles an hour. And, and I'm sorry to say it, but this jerk in this, on this cross rocket, somebody said I shouldn't say that. But anyways, it's like a, one of those fast motorbikes. This, this jerk was behind me. And he was, it was a black motorcycle, and he had black clothing on, and a black leather jacket, and a black helmet. And he was sitting, he was behind my truck. I didn't know he was back there. I mean, I was just stopping and going with the traffic. And all of a sudden, I hear this, I mean, he's revving his motor so loud, and I guess that means something, but he's revving his motor so loud that it's hurting our ears in the cab of the pickup. And I'm thinking, what is that guy doing? And all of a sudden, and he he splits traffic beside me, and as he drives past my pickup, my Ford 150 that was only a month old, brand new truck, he he goes past me, he has his arm up like this, and I'm looking like this. He has his arm up like this, and as he goes past me, he slams his arm into my side view mirror. And my mirror explodes and twists and then hangs limp. And I just, I did not feel sanctified. <laughs> I, mean, I really had some emotions that were unchristian emotions. I wanted to kill the guy. My brand new truck. There are times 
that your sanctified life is going to be tested in the heat of the moment. It's going to be a little telltale sign of how you're doing, how well you're wearing your uniform, how well the Holy Spirit is really in charge of your life. We waded through a lot of weighty stuff. I understand that. A lot of material. It'll get lighter next week. We waited. But, but the fact is, in the heat of the moment, you're going to find out where you're at spiritually. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to be sanctified. We need to live a life fully filled by His Spirit and fully sanctified for His glory. Not for ours, but for His glory. And maybe the Lord is speaking to you about something. Maybe there, there is something that the Lord needs to sanctify in your life. And maybe it's an attitude. Maybe you're in a crisis right now. I mean, it's a serious life crisis. And you, you, it's, it's eating you up. And you're saying, Lord, I need, this, I need to sanctify this. It's yours, Father. I don't know what it is. Men, maybe it is something that's called sin. And you're saying, Lord, I need to sanctify this because you're weary of it. God wants to fill you. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to give you victory. Let's, let's, well, first, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I, I want to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak today. Precious Father in heaven, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, Lord, we just come, we come humbly before you this morning. And we, we're listening. We want to respond to you, Father, not to the pastor, music, all this other stuff, peripheral stuff. But Father, Holy Spirit, we want to respond to you. We need you to sanctify us. We need you, Lord, to come into our life and to fill us. To set us free, Father. Help us, Father, to have peace. And so, Father, we're presenting this to you right now. Lord Jesus, come in. Help us to understand your holiness. Because you said to be holy as you are holy. Help us to understand that holiness. And it begins by knowing you, Father. It begins by even this prayer saying, God, I want to know your holiness. I, I, I want to be filled, entirely sanctified for you. And so, Father, I pray with their heads bowed, eyes closed, that you would hear that prayer. They're praying all around the congregation right now. In this sanctuary, you're praying, Lord, I want to be holy. Lord, I, I need this part of my life. I need to set this aside. You've touched this. You spoke to me about this, and I need this to be sanctified. I need to give this to you, Jesus. It's between you and the Lord, nobody else, saying, Jesus, I, I need this part of my life to be sanctified, that I might live a life that pleases you. Thank you, Father, for that. Our heads bowed, eyes closed. You're praying that way. You're saying, Lord, you're speaking to me right now. Lord, I want to be holy. I want this to be sanctified in my life. Just lift your hand up right there where you're at. Just lift your hand. Saying, Lord, I want to be obedient. Sanctify me. Lord, I want this part of my life to be holy. God bless you. Lord, you know what it is I'm wrestling with. Lord, I'm giving it to you right now. God bless you. He sees your hand. God bless you. Somebody else. You're saying, Lord... I'm setting this aside for you. Father, I want to, to live a holy life. I want to please you, Jesus, because I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for, for giving me direction today, challenging me and stretching me. Somebody else just saying, Lord, I hear your voice. Lift your hand up saying, Lord, I'm going to respond to you. God, I want to be holy. I want to be sanctified. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing this prayer. Thank you, Father, for being with us. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name.